If you would turn in your Bibles, if you brought them to John chapter 4, that's where we're headed in just a minute. I'll start reading around verse 22, but before we get there, I want to ask you guys a question. That question this morning is, when was the last time you focused on God? When was the last time you focused on God? I want to be really honest with you guys about something. That in in 2014, I started seminary, and and one of the things that that my advisors and professors warned me and my classmates early on was that it is entirely possible to study God and be disconnected from Him. And what they were telling us was, we're, we're all headed towards ministry, we're all in this professional setting, we're all in this academic setting, and we are deliberately, intentionally studying God through our Bibles, through books that really smart people have written, through all these different, these different scholastic materials, and that we could be doing these things and completely disconnected from our Lord. It's possible to study God and be disconnected from Him. So it's possible to read your Bible and miss what Scripture is communicating about God. It is possible to go outside and see His creation and not recognize the powersty power and majesty, excuse me, <clears throat> of the Creator. It is entirely possible to be exactly where I am right now, to teach and preach and do it as well as you can and communicate godly ideas and be completely spiritually numb. It is completely possible to come to church, to be doing church things, to be doing godly things and be distracted from what's actually happening because you're hunting Somebody saying a misspoken word, I give you plenty of opportunities. A faux pas, a song you don't like, something to that effect that completely distracts you from what we're actually doing here. It is possible for us to be doing godly things, but to miss the point. So I'm going to ask again, when was the last time you focused on God? For me, I had an an experience recently that reminded me of this. Two weeks ago, we went to to camp with with Velocity. And it was at that camp that that I recognized there was a hike. And I'll I'll tell you about the hike in just a second. But uh, there was a hike. And on that hike, I recognized that my time at camp, a lot of times, ends up very logistic. While we're at this spiritual place for spiritual reasons, we're, we're, using, we're in the Bible, we're doing worship, we're doing all the things that we're supposed to do at camp, I tend to get consumed by driving and making sure I'm doing it safe, that I don't lose the van behind me, that, um, that things like that are, are going well, that we're, you know, we're eating where we're supposed to eat, when we're supposed to eat. I'm checking the rearview mirror. Teenagers, put your seatbelt back on, that kind of thing. Th- those are happening a lot. I'm trying to keep a schedule. I'm trying to keep kids out of trouble, and, and there's 30 of them. 
and, and heavens knows I've got five adults with me and they were crazy enough to volunteer to go to camp with 30 teenagers. They might be a problem too. I've got teaching to worry about. I've got sleepwalkers. I've got all these things that are in my mind and, 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 and controlling me at camp. And we took a hike to this overlook, and I think there's a picture that's going to come up of it. And I recognized at camp that I had been consumed with keeping our kids safe, which in and of itself is not a bad thing. That's something that needs to happen, but there's more to it. And I found myself reflecting on my creator. Y'all, this isn't you know, thousands of miles away in the you know, Rocky Mountains somewhere. This is just a few hours away. This, this is nearby. That we have things that we can see. It's flat around here. It's hard to see past the trees. But when we, we can go places not far from here. And, and you see and you're like, wow, tell me God's not real. You can reflect on, on really who he is. So when was the last time you focused on him? There's a second question. When was the last time you responded to him? It's possible to be in church singing and really just be reading words. It's possible to read your Bible and remain self-sovereign. It is possible to hear God's word taught and disregard sound instruction. It's possible to have godly things right in front of us and for our response to be lackluster. When was the last time you responded to God? So if all these things I just listed to you guys are possible, that means that there must be something better, right? That kind of sounds like where I'm going with that. There has to be something different for followers of Jesus. A few weeks ago, Pastor Mike and I conjured up this idea of the, the core series. We, we wanted to, to be able to give you guys what it looks like. If you had a toolbox that you carried around as a follower of Jesus, what kind of things would be in that toolbox that, that looked like followers of Jesus, that helped you with your faith walk? Two weeks ago, we started and, and, and our, our worldview, the way we look at the world. We talked about core, one, core 01, religion, and, and how we're influenced Pastor Mike reminded us that, that we have a, a God who can be known authentically and personally and consciously, but there are other world religions. There's other things that, out there in the world that teach us how to view the world, that teach us how to live our lives, but Christianity is the only one where we can know God. Last week, Pastor Mike, Mike did Coro two and talked about faith that while our God can be known, He is that that comes that comes to be because of Him being revealed through Jesus and the Bible, and that when He's revealed, we recognize who He is and we respond in faith and make Him our boss. We make Him our Lord. This week we are going to talk about in Coro three worship, us focusing 
on God and responding to him. So before I go a whole lot further, I want to give you guys a few words at least about worship. It's been important for God's people throughout history. If we were to look in, in the book, that you, we've got the entire book of Psalms as an example. It's 150 prompts and patterns of what it looked like to reflect on God. It's important in the future. If we were to look in the back of the book, Revelation contains and in word pictures these very graphic descriptions of what happens in front of the throne, and it is worship. And it's important now, the age we're in, the, 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 the Gospels and the letters, uh, sometimes we call them the biographies, epistles, those, those, those messages communicate to the church where we are. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul wrote this, Let the message of Christ dwell richly among you as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. Those are all ways to sing. They're, they're types of songs that we sing, and singing is absolutely a part of worship. So those types of songs, singing to God with gratitude, that's an, that's an attitude about recognizing God and being thankful, our response to him with gratitude in our hearts. That's to the New Testament church. That is us. So it was important then, it is important now, and it will remain important. So what is it what is worship? We've already said that we know it, it's focusing on and responding to God, but that's a simple definition. There's got to be more to it. We tend to think that singing is worship. And it, it's true, but it's only partially true. You see, if, if focusing on and responding to God is what we're really doing, it really could be any godly response. I'm not going to say any response, but any godly response to recognizing who he is. Have you ever been there? So, something happens, you, you just recognize God's movement in your life and you go, not the, not the exasperated sigh, but the like, that was good. The, the, the relaxing sigh, the refreshing sigh, that could be a moment of worship. That could be you acknowledging how awesome God is, how he's, he's moving in your life or somebody close to you's life, or you've read scripture, or you see something that points to God, and you go, man. Or maybe an utterance. I'll tell you one of my favorites. You hear something awesome again. You hear God really working in somebody's lives. You, 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 it's just obvious that God is there. He's awesome, and, and you can't help but vocally respond. And I, I like to go, man, ain't God cool? That's one of my favorite ones. Literally anything godly that shows worth to God, proper worth to God, can be worshiped. So if, if that's kind of what worship is, what are we focusing on about God? Well, it's, we're focusing on his attributes. We're focusing, focusing on who he is. We're focusing on the fact that he is worthy. We're focusing on the fact that he is holy and almighty. We're focusing on the fact that he is the creator and also the sustainer of all that he created. We focus on the fact that he is the sovereign judge. 
and that is, he is due our respect. We are focusing on him because he is worthy of all the worth and honor we can attribute to him and more. That's what we're focusing on. And then as that happens, we respond. We understand God and we appreciate him and acknowledge him. And just like a sunset that absolutely can't be described or some mountaintop view stirs us to just spontaneously respond, we respond to God. We encounter God's worthiness and we respond to him. That's what worship is. I want you guys to to grab your Bibles again, Luke, or John chapter 4. I'm going to read at verse 22. John, Jesus is having this conversation with a Samaritan woman. He has explained some, some differences between what the Samaritans and the Jews, uh, the way they look at things. And he gets to this, this, this portion um, of their conversation after he's challenged her about having multiple husbands and, and these, these sorts of things, he, they get to this point in the conversation where Jesus tells her this. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. Have you ever walked past somebody that you should have known? You get that, maybe even get a feeling, you're like, man, I really think I know them. You, you walk past somebody that, that, or they say hey to you, and you go, hey, that part of my brain that's supposed to remember names, it, um, I think it's there, but a lot of times it's doing cartwheels when you tell me your name, so um, I don't, there's people I don't know. What Jesus is telling this Samaritan woman is, you have to know who God is. You have to be able to recognize him to, to worship him. He keeps going. Again, he says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. So the, the obvious is the, the opposite of. There's a, the, the requirement that you have to be able to understand God, not just recognize and see him, but understand him that, to, to worship him. Now, I, I want to... I carry an iPhone around, and I forget which model it is. I don't try to keep up with these things, but the one I had before that had a button down here. <clears throat> and when this one came in, I, w I, did I couldn't figure out how to turn it on. I couldn't figure out how to do anything with it. I knew that I had an iPhone, but I was, did not have enough intimate knowledge to work the thing. I didn't understand it. This is kind of like what Jesus is saying here. You can know something and have zero knowledge about it. You can recognize something and not understand how it works. That's where Jesus is going with that. He's telling the Samaritans, you don't really know. We do. What he's getting at here is, as we keep reading, he says, for salvation comes from the Jews. He's not. This is not a... a, a societal racial thing. It's not the divide like the Jews and the Samaritans have some divides. Jesus was not pointing at that. What he was pointing at was that he came from Abraham's line, his Abraham's heritage, and he himself, Jesus, is the way to the Father, the way to restoring our ability to worship 
as God needs and, and commands worship. Pastor Mike prayed this morning as we, we started our service and, and Pastor Mike acknowledged Jesus that it's because of him that we can have an audience with the Father to pray. That's what, that's what Jesus is pointing out. That salvation comes from the Jews. If we were to keep going, yet a time is coming and has now come. That time that Jesus is, is referencing there, he's, he's, um, it's now. What Jesus is referring to there, he's, he's predicting that he will, his death, his resurrection, uh, and, and his ascension back to heaven. He is predicting the time we live in now, the, the church age is coming, where true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. True worshipers are, are those who do recognize. They recognize who Jesus is. They recognize that he is the truth of God and the way to the Father. The, the, the true worshipers are people who acknowledge Jesus. We call him Lord. We allow him to be boss in our life. Now the Spirit, when you do that, when you acknowledge Jesus, when you allow him to be boss in your life, the Spirit is what you get. The Spirit um, is a seal on the follower of Jesus that goes everywhere with us. So worship is no longer limited to the temple. It's no longer limited to having to go to a building. Now don't get me wrong. The building is important. But our God is alive and living in all places and our worship of him because he deserves it is not limited to one hour, one day of the week. Our worship of him is throughout our lives as we are connected to the Holy Spirit, recognize who he is and engage him. And then the truth, again, which is Jesus and scripture. And then I love it when when we read these things in script in scripture, so uh, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. <clears throat> God is spirit, and His worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus doubles down; the the spirit and truth thing happens twice. That generally means it's important. You ever been in class and had a teacher? I'm about to say something. Write this down, and they'll say it two or three times. This is important. It's on the test. They do the foot stomp thing. This, you need to know this. Jesus is saying that, that worship is in spirit and in truth. Pay attention is what, what he's saying. Because there were people who couldn't do this. There were followers of Jesus who weren't doing that. Jesus had clashes with the Pharisees more than once. One time he had a clash with them. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 15 where Jesus said this, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. It requires an understanding, a knowledge of who God is, and being authentically engaged with your response to him. 
So it's not just worship being us focusing on God and responding to him. It is us focusing on God as he reveals himself, not as I try to make him out to be. I can't give God attributes that aren't his. I can't focus on the love and forget about the justice. I have to remember that that God is God, not a figment of my imagination. That is who I'm worshiping. We have to worship in truth. And then it's responding based on that. Responding intentionally based on that. Not flippantly. Not seeking my own benefit. So we know at this point that worship is focusing on and responding to God. We know it's got to happen in spirit and in truth. There are a couple more things I want to get through with you about what worship is. Worship's done both in public and in private. Publicly, Hebrews chapter 10, this is something we've talked about in the last several months as we've, we've reflected on a stay-home church because of a pandemic. It, it was a necessary thing. And it, it's still, I'm not saying that if, if you need to be at home, you be at home, but don't allow that to become an, an excuse because we've been told to gather together. In Hebrews chapter 10, we read this, let us, not let me, let us, that's a collective, that's talking the body, the church, let us hold unswervingly, I really like that word, it means steadfast, really hold on to it, to the hope we profess. We have hope because we recognize who God is. And then we profess it because it's a response to us recognizing who he is. That is worship. For he who promised is faithful. That's another attribute of God. That's recognizing who he is. And let us, that's, that's again, that's the collective. That's not one person. That's all of us. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That's a, that's a response. Not giving up meeting together. Again, that's a response. As some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. That's worship together. Jesus also gave us an example of worship in private. In Luke chapter 5, we read that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now, prayer is a discipline in and of itself. Prayer is a discipline we're going to talk about during this, during this series, but prayer is also um, linked with worship. As we pray, we think about God, we reflect on him, we communicate with him, and out of listening to God's instruction in prayer, we respond. Worship and prayer are absolutely linked. Worship is done in public and in private. Let me give you one more thing about worship that is, it's a discipline to be cultivated. That means it takes some effort, it takes, takes some energy, takes some thought, takes us being intentional about it. This means that we have to be focused, but if we think about focus, which is what we're doing on God, it, focus requires focus. It requires us putting some, some effort, some thought, some intentionality into what we're doing. 
because temptations and distractions can happen. I, I am a squirrel. You can ask the, the, the staff if I can get distracted in the, in the back office. And don't, if you need me to do something, don't have somebody else walk into my office because I'll absolutely forget both of them. But it, worship takes a degree of effort, especially because we were created to worship. And if we don't worship God, we will worship something else. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I was singing earlier. My throat's sore. I have to cough. <clears throat> UGA football. Look, I love the dogs. Don't get me wrong. But there are things that we prioritize. We focus on them and we respond by giving them our time. We respond by allowing them to prioritize other things in our lives. Should it be that way about God? Listen. Listen to this. This happened in Matthew chapter 4. As Jesus was being tempted, Satan tells him this. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus had to be intentional. He had to recognize who was, who was tempting him and he had to respond intentionally. It, you have to think about what you're doing. Now look, this is a lot of information. It's a lot of me coming up here and saying this is what worship is, this is what worship is, this is what worship is. I don't want you to think that there's nothing else to it. I want to give you a couple of things very quickly that, that it's the it's what happens. It's the result of worship. The first thing that happens is we delight in God. The psalmist wrote this in Psalm 73. He said, whom have I in heaven but you? He's talking to God and says, and earth has, has nothing I desire besides you. There's nothing on earth I want more than you, God. That's what the psalmist is saying when I focus on you. This is the way I feel. This is the way I, I recognize you. And in return, God delights in us. In Isaiah chapter 62, he, Isaiah wrote this, As a young man marries a young woman, so your builder, that's the creator God, will marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. We all want to have to be praised. We all want to be uplifted. And when we praise God as his creation that he loves, the church is, is the bride of Christ. He uplifts us. And he ministers to us. God ministers to us when we worship. As we come near him in worship, James chapter 4 verse 8 says, come near to God and he will come near you. God ministers to us. Two more things and I'll quit. The enemies flee. Just like what we, we saw with Satan and Jesus in the temptation. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, this is what happened after consulting the people. Josephat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness. Does that sound like focusing on and responding to? They've recognized an attribute. They're singing. Holiness as they went out ahead of the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord 
his, for his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. This last one is that people experience God's presence. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is telling the church what right worship looks like. And he gets to this point in, in chapter 14, verse 25, where he says, even unbelievers and, and people in, who are inquirers, they're interested in the faith, they want to know more. These people who are not people of the faith yet will see our worship and say, man, God is with you. God is really here. Y'all, we have a choice to prioritize God or not. And if we read the book, the track record isn't so good of humankind. I've heard this quote, man worships his work, works at his play, and plays at his worship. I'm going to say that again. He worships his work, works at his play, and plays at his worship. I challenge you as individuals, I challenge us as Grace Community Church to live and worship in utter defiance of that. I challenge us to be intentional in worship. I challenge us to focus on God and respond to Him. Last week as we were in the faith message, Pastor Mike gave us this scenario where the, the building's on fire, the room is full of smoke, and someone opens the door, and a beam of light cuts through the smoke. And the person who's got the door open says, y'all follow me, I found the way out. And Pastor Mike says, how arrogant we would be to fold our arms and, and stomp our feet and really dig in and say, how dare you tell me you know the only way? Man, the building's on fire. Somebody's got a way out. We're not folding our arms and stomping our feet. We're getting with it. And when we get done getting with it, we're probably going to go hug that person and say, man, thank you for finding the door. Now apply that to our lives. We were separated from God. Not allowed in his presence due to sin, and Jesus has fixed it. He's got the door open. He said, I am the way, follow me. All we have to do is respond, y'all. Our Father, I am so grateful for the work your son has done. Again, as Pastor Mike prayed earlier, that, that we can pray, we're here this morning because of your son. I'm grateful for his work. I'm grateful that we can be restored to right relationship with you. Now, Father, my prayer is simple. My prayer is that we acknowledge you. We recognize all you've done for us, who you are, and we respond to you. Lord, that we respond in a way that we are a light in our community, that we are people different than we used to be, and it's all because of you. Father, we love you and thank you for loving us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Hey, Grace Community Church, I hope you all have a fabulous rest of your weekend and a great week next week, and we'll see you in seven days.